Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today, I'm talking to Rose Byrne and then Jack Osborne. First up, Rose Byrne. She currently stars in Mrs. America, the FX on Hulu miniseries about the fight to pass the Equal Rights Amendment in the 1970s and 80s. While Kate Blanchett stars as conservative activist Phyllis Schlafly, Byrne portrays Gloria Steinem. I caught up with Byrne from her home in New York City to talk about her work as the iconic Biz Magazine founder, her upcoming role as a Kellyanne Conway-type campaign strategist in Jon Stewart's political satire, Irresistible, and what she's been doing to stay sane during quarantine. I'll have Rose Byrne coming up after the break. And then later in the show, Jack Osborne opens up about his famous rocker father's battle with Parkinson's disease. Stick around. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's Rose Byrne. Hi, Rose Byrne. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing in this crazy upside-down world right now? Oh, man. I mean, we're all in it together. I just, we're just doing it. It's surreal. Uh, yeah, listen, I feel lucky. I'm, you might, you know, have a, we're safe and we're okay. Uh, it's scary. Scary. Yeah, it's really scary. Have you been? Have you guys really just been staying in and not going anywhere at this point? Yeah, we have two little kids. We've just been, we've just been inside, and you know. But um, you know, I have friends. You know, my I, who are work in the healthcare system, and uh, you know, I hear one story, I'm like, oh my goodness. How, how do you calm yourself down? How do you not get too wrapped up in it? You know what I mean? Alcohol, just alcohol, <laughs> drugs, <laughs> porn. <laughs> it's only, it, by the way, it's only yeah. nine thirty in LA. Um, <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, and you—I mean, you've had to put—you've had to put some projects on pause too, right? Because you were supposed to be going with Bobby to Sydney, right? Yeah, I mean, hopefully we still are, but um, we were supposed to. We don't go till the end of the year. We don't go till November. Mm-hmm. So um, really hoping that that will go ahead. Yeah, I mean, obviously nobody knows anything. Um, but, um, I'm, you know, yeah, we both have other projects, TV projects we were hoping to be doing before um, before the end of the year. But we're all in limbo. Everybody is in the same boat. We're just in limbo and waiting and to hear and how this thing really unfolds you know it's hard to get a picture of because you look at other countries and the data seems to show when they lift these um, you know restrictions that things get really dicey again so yeah. it's um it's 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 complicated obviously well I would love to see the two of you in a view from the bridge that's that's pretty amazing Arthur Miller Oh, I know. I'm just, I can't wait to, you know, do it with Bobby. Um, it's been my, one of my favorite plans for my whole life. So let's talk about Mrs. America. We binged it in like three days and it's so powerful. It's so ripe for right now. It really is. It's, um, it's uh we did too well, we recently got to watch all of it bobby and i and um and obviously he has he has a little cameo in it too which is really cool 
Um, uh, but I do too. I think for something that's historical, it couldn't be more relevant. It's it, it's kind of extraordinary. And we thought that while whilst we were filming it too, there would be certain scenes where we're like, why are we still having these same conversations <laughs> 45 years later or whatever it is. Well, what did you know about Phyllis Schlafly? Was she even part of your history books? <laughs> no, I, she was, I had, I did know, I did know about it because a, a good friend of mine was obsessed with her. He's sort of obsessed with pop culture from that time and for, uh, and sort of, um, he's a really well-versed, um, his sort of historian in uh, particularly with like strong, you know, female sort of out of the box characters. In any case, he, uh, a friend of mine had said to me, oh my God, that's such a great character. I hope someone does something with that one day. And then lo and behold, we, you know, heard about the show and so on and so forth. And so I had, I had known a little bit about her, but very peripherally, like not, nothing, just the broad strokes. And you look at Kate Blanchett and you're just like, that's not Kate Blanchett. That is Phyllis Schlafly. I'm like, I mean, she's just, there's just nobody. There's nobody can touch her. She's like extraordinary. And what a role, what a tour de force and what a hard part to kind of tackle, uh, you know, and, you know, with empathy and everything. So you play Gloria Steinem. We yeah. all know who Gloria Steinem is. We all Everyone has at least a basic knowledge of Gloria. How much did you know know about her, and how much did you learn about her in preparing to play this icon? I knew the broad strokes. I definitely was not. I didn't know the intricacies or the um, the detail of her, obviously her life and childhood and so on and so forth, and and of all of the endless achievements that she has um, that she's had and continues to have. So I just threw myself in. I, you know, I called Darby once I was in on board and I was like, I don't, I'm intimidated already. And now I really don't know where to begin because there's so much stuff, you know, there's so many of obviously of her own books. And then, and then you go into the articles, you go into the um, autobiographies, you go into the biographies and so on. So Darby Waller, the showrunner, sent me a kind of starter package. <laughs> and that was really where I began. Just research, yeah. Research, research, research. So you're, you're spoiled, really, when you play somebody as famous as her, as iconic, because there is so much stuff. So tell me about the first time you're in Gloria Steinem makeup and wardrobe, the aviators, the wig. What, what did you think when you first saw yourself in full Gloria Steinem? It's <laughs> like, man, she had great style. Uh, let's just gotta give it up for her aesthetic. She was iconic with her, and she's one of those silhouettes that you immediately identify. And that's savvy. There's like a savviness to that. Um, and she also has an innate sort of sensuality about her. I think Gloria, with mm-hmm. men, women, everybody, like she's this. She's this is an innate sort of way she communicates, and um, her power is subtle and quiet driven but very like in control she has a sort of unflappability about her um and I was obsessed with the silhouette and with her hair really trying to get the you know get the wardrobe get one thing get the glasses and the hair it was like if you don't get the silhouette right then it's no one's going to believe it did you reach out to Gloria 
I did not. No, we, we unfortunately we just had I just relied on the script and on Davi and my own personal research. Um, but uh, it was um, again, yeah, it was it was you know I had these two books that I just carried around with me everywhere that were her um, on the road, her you know her sort of one of her re- more recent books about her life and um, mm-hmm. uh, and um, the uh, Carolyn Hayburn. I'll, mispronounce her name but she did a really seminal biography of um of Gloria and mm-hmm. those two I would sort of just have with me as my bibles <laughs> them all the time. how how um how I don't know if responsibilities yeah responsibilities the word what kind of responsibility do you feel when you have to you're playing someone not only as a real person but someone who's still alive Oh yeah. I mean, it's insane. I was just like, I just, I was like, I really can't screw this up. I was like, I cannot (laughs) I just worked as hard as I could. And I, I don't know. I don't know what I did or how it looks, but I just tried to capture her essence as hard as I could. And it was, um, it's, it's very challenging. At the end of the day too, you have to really throw it all away as well. Cause you just, you, know, you can't make any decisions about a scene until you're doing that because it's all about right. the other performer, the other actor. Um, but um, again, she just is so specific, Gloria, in her voice and all of her hair and so on and so forth. So I really wanted to, to um, capture that. What's the one scene that sticks out to you when you, when you think Mrs. America? What's, what's the scene that you think about? The scenes that were incredibly emotional for us were often the scenes at um, uh, the the Houston Women's Conference. And um, that was a hugely emotional scene to shoot when they passed the plank for um, lesbian rights. And then we all start singing, We Shall Overcome. That was really very emotional, filming that. And then um, then at at the Democratic National Convention in 72, when um, Shelley Chisholm runs and... Uh, she comes up on stage. Uzo came on stage with uh, with the other five. I think it was five white men, and um, that was extraordinary. We all quite like our breath was really taken away and looked at each other after the first take. Like, wow, we all got the shivers. It was really moving. It was very emotional. Obviously, Phil Schlafly has passed, but if you could sit down with her, what would you ask her? Oh gosh. I feel like you wouldn't have to ask her much and she would just take the reins and talk and talk and talk and talk. She had an Anderson Tammy ability to not draw breath. So I I feel like, you know, I firstly just want to get her recipe for her apple pie. <laughs> and I'd like to know how long it took her to get ready in the morning. That's the other thing I'd like to <laughs> I feel like she went to sleep like that and woke up like that. Oh, man. I, it is extraordinary how much that woman achieved. She was, and I love that beat in the, the film, I mean, in the show when her mom says, you know, this is a gift from God. Look at what she's achieved. Six kids, a law degree, a marriage, you know, an activist for, you know, the anti-femmes. Like, you know, she was, she was a she was a first rate feminist. Absolutely, <laughs> talk about an independent woman. <laughs> I mean, that's really kind of crazy when you think about that. But yeah, you know, she did everything she could to fight that, to fight women wanting to mm. do that. I know. Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's extraordinary. Yeah, 
yes, I, uh, it's, um, but then for her to never, you know, had for this pipe dream of wanting to work for Reagan and the, 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 the crushing letdown of that, I thought it was captured so well. And that the, yeah. the kind of, that the, the, um, the crescendo of that episode was really heartbreaking. And, and then you see the legacy of Gloria kind of going on and her continuing to talk and speak and be active and, um, you know, as this new era came in, but she never rose to her the, the heights that she wanted. She, she, right. It's a tragedy, you know, she's a tragedy. Mm. And then, of course, she ends up having a gay son. Mm-hmm. I know. It's, what a great It's Shakespearean. Shakespearean isn't mm-hmm. It? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Were you surprised to learn that? Did you know that? Yeah, I was. I was like, wow. What? I'm... It just took my breath away. Yeah, I was like, wow, oh, that's the ultimate for the test for somebody like her. How do you, how do you manage that? How can you keep that under your control? You can't. So let's talk a little bit more about politics. Um, it, it's irresistible with Steve Carell. Yes, yes, from John Stewart. Tell me about that. Well, that was, you know, no fun at all. <laughs> I was like, finally, I get to work with Steve Carell. He's been doing my acting kind of crushes for so long. I think he's so funny and real and weird. And I just really loved his career, how it's gone. And he's really inspiring. I just love how he does so many different things. And he's um, he's you know, sort of still mysterious. You don't really know much about him. And I, yeah, I just really admire him. And, and then John, yeah, I was like, are you kidding me? So... I went down to Atlanta and we did this, you know, I had a fun few weeks filming with those guys and trying not to laugh and trying to learn exactly all of these, watching endless videos of Kellyanne Conway and (laughs) trying to capture that sort of alternative fact spirit that that she has. Um, So tell me about, tell me about Kellyanne Conway. Tell me about trying to play a Kellyanne Conway title. She's incredible. Uh, you know, you do have to take your hat off to how she can answer any question without not answering anything at all. It's, it's, it's quite extraordinary. So um, we tried to capture that sort of spirit <laughs> a little bit, but also like trying to capture this great spirit between my character and this character and one another despite being on the opposite sides of the aisle um, and how how they kind of get bored if they don't have that tension between them, if they don't have some kind of like competitiveness and fight between them but then obviously it's that they have this you know uh you know affair on and off affair for years too so it was really fun really really funny and then just two fun questions for you tell me about the first audition you went on whether you got the role or not you know what i got the part isn't that isn't that extraordinary i went for an australian film i was in acting class and i got scouted by a casting director. She came to look at young, you know, 12-year-olds for a Australian film. And I went into Liz Mullen's casting and I did this audition and I got the part in this Australian movie. Opposite Sandra Bernhardt, of all people. She flew out to Australia to do this tiny little movie called Dallas Doll. Um, and uh, I remember the audition was really exciting. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> too young to be nervous and uh, kind of had fun. They were very sweet. That's, a, that's amazing. 
And then the one TV TV series you could watch over and over again and you never get bored. Seinfeld. Why is that? It was huge in Australia. I grew up watching it. I guess I was trying to think of the age. I was probably around 13 when it came out. Yeah, 13 or 14. And um, I think I associate it with being at home as a teenager and feeling pretty... um, it's re- um, like it's like Vegemite toast. It's comforting, like comfort, <laughs> comforting kind of feeling. And it's so funny. It's just so funny. I just there's just certain episodes. I'm just so happy. If I'm feeling a little bit strange, I'll just throw an episode of Seinfeld. And, um, and uh, yeah, I've been. Uh, it's it's very reassuring. <laughs> awesome. Well, Rose Byrne, thank you. It's always great talking to you. Stay safe. Thanks, stay Mom. well. And hopefully, stay safe. You uh, too. At some point, we'll see each other in person in this world. See you on the other side of this, yeah. That was Rose Byrne. We're going to take a short break, but when we return, I'll be talking to Jack Osborne. The co-host of Portals to Hell, the travel channel that investigates haunted locations, recalls his first encounter with a ghost. Yes, a ghost. Plus, he opens up about his dad, Ozzy Osbourne's battle with Parkinson's disease. And he also explains why the time may be right for a reboot of his family's iconic MTV reality show. I'll be right back with Jack Osborne. What do explorers, an army officer, and a Minnesota insurance salesman have in common? They all wanted to be the first to reach the North Pole but only one of them made it. I'm Kat Long, science editor at Mental Floss and host of the new podcast, The Quest for the North Pole, which dives into the centuries-long race to explore the Arctic, find the Northwest Passage, and conquer the top of the world. With a cast of daring adventurers and some pretty determined amateurs, the race to the pole reveals the human desire to solve mysteries of geography and the soul. We'll look at the important Arctic expeditions that filled the blank spaces on the map and recognize how indigenous people made them successful. We'll examine what pushed explorers to venture ever farther into the unknown and uncharted and how the climate crisis is changing the Arctic today. Listen to The Quest for the North Pole every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Here's Portals to Hell co-host Jack Osborne. So how are you, sir? Oh man, what a what a time. What a time yeah. to be alive. Like, so what are you doing? Like, are you just with the kids? Are you binging? How are you getting through it? You know, I'm trying to keep busy. I'm trying to do things around the house. Um, you know, it's I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a bit of a prepper, which people kind of not not many people outside of my close circle know. <laughs> and like I've done like tons of survival courses and I've read a bunch of different survival books. And so like when this popped up in January, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, this is going to be bad. China's shutting down cities. Like, yeah, I wonder what wonder. Yeah, and I just saw the writing on the wall. So I kind of started stocking up on things back in like late January, early February. Really? Yeah. So, like, so like, do you have like canned goods, that kind of thing? What do you do? I, you know, if, I don't, I don't want to give away too much of my info in case those, you know, mass looters start coming around. Whoa, no, but you're I, really into it. <laughs> if, uh, you know, if they said you cannot leave your house for anything for a month, I'd be totally fine. So on that note, 
portals to hell. <laughs> portals to hell. <laughs> Which yeah. has nothing to do with viruses. Um, no. Nope. But ghosts, paranormal, have you always believed in it? Yeah, I, um, you know, ever since I was a kid, like, I grew up in, like, the X-Files era. So, right. like, just, I loved that show. I watched it religiously every weekend. Right. Um, so it was, you know, for me, I'd always had an interest. And then, you know, really it was like UFOs and stuff like that. And then as I got older, you know, and when I was a kid, I used to read a lot of those, like, you know, the, the Goosebumps books and, mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff. And so it just, it's always fascinated me. And what, and what really fascinated me was it's always the, well, what is it? Like, if people are uh, you know, ever since written language was created in like Mesopotamia and probably even earlier, we've there's been written stories about spirits and ghosts. Mm -hmm. It's now 2020 and people are still telling stories about ghosts. Stories of dragons have dipped off, stories of <laughs> monsters by and large have dipped off, <laughs> except you know, there's a few out there that still talk <laughs> about it, but yet we still tell stories of ghosts. Right. So it's it's fascinated me to be like, well, what the hell is it? What 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 is this thing that's happening to people? So when was your first encounter with a ghost? <sighs> I mean, I always I like to preface no matter what. Like, in, I don't think ghosts are what we actually think they are. Mm -hmm. I think humans. It's in our nature to when we don't understand things, we oversimplify things. And so, um, you know, it would be like if you went back in time and handed someone a bowl of plutonium 300 years ago and it's giving off heat and they're like, whoa, it's a magic rock. And then everyone starts dying. They're going to say it's a, it's a rock from hell. Right. Because they don't understand it. So um, I the first time I started having very strange experiences was I was a kid. I was living uh, in, our, in our family home in England. And my mom had taken my eldest sister to school and me and my sister Kelly were homesick. Mm. And it was at like 10.30 in the morning. Maybe no, it was probably actually closer to like nine. Um, we heard someone walking on the floor above us. And the way that, um, that, the, that floor in the house is kind of arranged is that the entire hallway is, is wardrobes. And our, cause it was like the kids floor and our bedrooms were opposite them. And, when we were kids, we used to run down the hall, dragging our hand on the closets and they would make this clanking. And I heard someone walking down the hallway dragging their hand against the door and it going clunk, 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 clunk. And I freaked out. I like <laughs> locked the door to my parents. I called my mom in her car phone and I'm like, There's someone in the house, someone in the house. And I nearly jumped out the window because it was coming towards us. Mm. Subsequently, nothing was there. So. I mean, I heard it. My sister heard it clear as day. No one was in the house. I don't know. I mean, then that's kind of what got me like, well, what the hell was that? Mm. Um, and then throughout, you know, I've seen things and begun like ghost hunts with friends when I was a kid. And that was just more <laughs> to kind of you know, spook each other out. So do you believe that you could call up a ghost or a paranormal thing of someone who has died? Like if you wanted to somehow talk to George Washington? I don't, I don't think that's necessarily, I don't think I could. 
Right. You know, I, I've worked with some really fascinating and amazing psychics and mediums and spiritualists who have done some things and said some things, which I'm like, there is no way in hell. But like we, we work with a woman named Michelle Bellinger and when we work with her, she conducts all like her psychic sweeps blindfolded, completely unaware of where she is. So we'll fly her into a location and often it's a long drive to where we're staying to where we're investigating. And she's wearing a blindfold the whole time. This last time, last time we had some, we were on an investigation with her. She drew a sketch of someone who had died at the location. And she had no idea where she was. So now let's go back to uh, something we can see, we can feel your family, <laughs> South by Southwest, the nine lives yeah. of Ozzy Osbourne. You were supposed to premiere it um yep. at south by southwest what did you have planned for the premiere were there going to be performances or anything yeah we, we had this this uh children's choir that was going to sing one of my dad's songs wait what? really cool wait, oh, yeah back up <laughs> children's... yeah my, my dad actually posted the choir on his instagram the other day but there was this kid's choir from a, a school um i think in the area of of austin um who had done a rendition of crazy train and um, I think they were gonna uh, they were gonna perform it, and you know it was just uh, the, the the interesting thing with us and being in South by Southwest is that you know the doc we've done the documentary for A and E and it's gonna be a biography, so it was like a hey we're already gonna be on air we've already sold it it's already paid for but they were excited like they they were just on board with us and I'm so heartbroken that we couldn't do it and especially for everyone who was involved you know on my production team bringing it to life and it was just like oh man like really like over a year of work and then right at the ninth hour it was like all right mm. so let's talk about the nine lives of ozzy osbourne were there i mean obviously your family has been an open book for many years since uh back in the osbourne days um but was there anything you learned that you didn't know about that sort of either upset you or shocked you? Um, you know, I, I, I had done a documentary on my dad back in 2011, mm -hmm. 2010, 2011. So I'd kind of, I'd done, a, you know, we dove so much into the, the past and, and I, that's when I really learned a bulk of things that I was like, whoa, I had no idea that was the deal. Um, so I didn't, it, there was nothing too groundbreaking, probably the most groundbreaking thing, and it is featured in the documentary, um, was, you, you know, my dad coming forward about his Parkinson's diagnosis. And, um, and so that's, uh, you know, we featured that in the film and, you know, we all kind of share our thoughts about it and it's, uh, you know. That, that's difficult. It's difficult mm -hmm. to kind of, because it, it all happened when we were making the doc. Wow. And there was a thing where we were going to not feature it. But I just, you know, I kind of had to really, not necessarily butt heads, but I had to kind of persuade both my dad and mom, like, listen, now that you've gone public with this, we would be doing this film, you know, uh, an injustice to not feature this. This is a, this is a, monumental moment in your life and in your career and to ignore that why we, we should not even be doing this doc anyway because we're, we're lying to your fans right and you know and i think it was this was before 
he'd gone public with it too. And and then I think after he'd kind of come out with, you know, it's like, Hey, listen, this is, this is what's going on. I think he was like, all right, like, fine. The cat's out of the bag. We don't need to, you know, it is what it is. Mm. So uh, yeah, you know, and, and we, the, the, the thing I, I I'm so pleased about is, you know, Greg Johnston, our director, he um, we've worked with him on and off for nearly 20 years now in various projects. Um, and he knows our family so well. He knows the sensibility of my parents. And I mean, he was one of the original executive producers of the Osbournes. And we do see you break down in tears. You do cry during uh, the doc. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were you surprised to find yourself, like you said, like there's, a, you know, you knew a lot of this, you know, I, I'm watching it as an outsider. Obviously I know about your family, but I'm watching it as an outsider. And, you know, he's talking, talking about the stuff he did with your mom and the cheating and the drugs and, you know, it's heartbreaking. But what, yeah. what, what gets you to the point where like, you know what, no matter how much I know, that's going to, you know, that's going to break me a little bit. You know, it, it's not, that stuff is, you know, the stuff about the, the, the husband wife drama butting in the heads, that stuff doesn't get me emotional because that is stuff that, you know, it's like, that's a human thing. That's like, I don't care who you are under the sun. Like those are, uh, it doesn't matter if you're, fucking prince charles cheated on princess diana like it happens to everyone like it's it's just a part of the human condition now unfortunately and that there seems to be such a like oh how dare you how dare you but it's like that's the shit that i'm like you know what they're grown-ups they're consenting adults they can do whatever the fuck they want and it's none of their business it's not my business i should say sorry the stuff that really that I got emotional about was the fact that at the time we recorded, you know, we did that interview, we didn't know if my dad was ever going to be able to perform again. And that's, and, and so with that comes a lot of fear because it's like, it's like a, uh, you know, a racehorse when they can't race anymore, they give up. And, and that's the fear I had now since recording, doing that interview, my dad went and did another album. It was one of his most successful albums to date um you know he's going back in the studio when this corona bullshit dies down and you know so it it there was a time of huge uncertainty which really kind of shook the foundation of the whole family it says the title's nine lies of ozzy osborne do you think there's more than nine <laughs> man i i really hope there is because no but i mean even that's... even up until now it seems like there's been at least 12 <laughs> totally i mean yeah i mean you really you i mean we kind of we pegged it into nine lives of ozzy osbourne because you know greg our director there's like nine main kind of phases that we right. hit in the film um i mean there's probably yeah there's probably closer to 12 to 15 and and ongoing i mean like i said the, the we didn't even touch on the success of his new album and doing the post malone song and all that and you know, there's some other really big things which I can't quite yet talk about, but in the works. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, you know, there's there's a lot of good things that are, that are in the pipe for him right now. So how often are producers, people coming to you and saying, come on, let's do the Osbournes again? I mean, I'm just by nature of what I do now, I'm kind of the gatekeeper to it. Mm -hmm. So if anyone is calling being like, hey, 
you know, I want to do the Osbournes again. I'm like, why would I need you? Like, if I want to do the Osbournes again, I'll do it. I have a company. I make reality shows. Like, I don't, I don't need, you know, right. LA producer being like, hey, I got a great idea. <laughs> so it does happen. Um, and, and most of the time we will, obviously I just go, no, it's, you know, if it's going to happen, it's not going to be with you. Um, <laughs> so it's, I would lie. I would be lying to say the conversations haven't been coming up recently. Mm. Why recently? You know, because it's something that I don't know. I think I think nostalgia is such a huge, you know, it's a hot button word right now. And yeah. you look at all these shows coming back from twenty years ago. The only thing is, is that like, and what I struggle with is, well, we don't all live together. I've got kids and an ex-wife and a whole life outside of my family now. Right. Um, I don't know how much I would want to feature my kids in it. Right. And I just, I think it would be really hard to do. I'm not, and I don't think it would be as funny. Well, it would, it would, like you said, you know, you have this whole other life. Everyone has these other lives. You don't live together. If you're not going to, you know, show your kids or, you know, your ex-wife, so on and so forth, it also, it sort of becomes artificial. Because yes. you're going to have to force the reality situations rather than before you all were just in the same house. Yeah. And what, you know, one thought I've had is, well, why don't we all just move in together for, <laughs> you know, crazy? two months? <laughs> but you see that's the react that's the exact reaction we want like it's right. 20 years later we're all moving back into the house together that's kind of genius actually right i mean it is i think it would be kind of funny because it would be the only way we would get anything near to right. it so when are you moving in together <laughs> i don't know i guess when someone pays me a hell of a lot more than you know they're currently offering because the amount of therapy I'm going to have to, you know, buy into after that is going to be monstrous. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You have a good one and take care. You too. Stay safe. That was Jack Osborne. Thanks for listening to The Big Ticket. Coming up next week, the star of Damien Chazelle's new Netflix series, The Eddie, Andre Holland, as well as actress-singer Beanie Feldstein. Until then, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. For all your Hollywood news, go to Variety.com. Stay safe and be well. See you next time. <laughs>